pray. God, we thank you. Uh, God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the message of the cross. We pray that in, in our lives, God, this, this would just infiltrate every part of our being. And because of, of the great thing that you've done in, in giving us your son and him going to the cross and, and God, being a servant and paying that price, God, that should affect every aspect of our life. It should change how we live. It should change how we interact with people and the things we do and the things we say. And uh, we just pray that uh, you would uh, do a work in our lives, and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 10. Uh, we're continuing the series in Mark today. And really, if you look here at the end of Mark 10, we kind of see the key verse really in all of the book of Mark and maybe all in all of Scripture. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, really sums up who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It, it sums up the heart of Jesus. It sums up the heart of the gospel. Jesus as a servant. Jesus giving his life, paying the ransom for us. I want to read Mark 10:45 and then we're going to come back to it at the end. It says this, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It is the key verse in the book of Mark and maybe in all of scripture. If I want to point to somebody, who is Jesus and what has he done for you? Here it is. For the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And how did he serve us? He gave his life as a ransom for many. I was asking my wife this week, and I asked her, you know, I'm looking for some stories, looking for some illustrations about servanthood. And so then she proceeds to tell me, she said, oh, do you remember the time you did this for me? I said, well, that, that's a cool story, but that was 13 years ago. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the last time I did something for her or not, but that was my story she gave me was from 13 years ago. So I wanted something a little more recent, and I got to thinking this week, uh, this week happened to be my birthday, and uh, I turned 37, and for the first time in my life, I told somebody my age, and they gasped. I don't, I don't know what that means, but it was Jen Voigt. <clears throat> uh, so anyway, uh, my, my son was so excited all week, really for the last couple weeks. He was so excited because he had this gift for me. Oh, Daddy, I can't wait to get it. You're going to love this gift. Ooh, and he would tell me every day just about this gift that he was going to give me. Now, I think part of our, our role as a parent is to guide, right, and to teach our children, you know, how to live. And ultimately, we want to teach our children what it is to look like Jesus, what it is to have the heart like Jesus. As we're going to see today, really the heart of Jesus is to act for other people. The heart of Jesus is, is servanthood. The heart of Jesus is doing something for somebody else. It's why he came. It's, it's what we just read in Mark 10, 45. And so as I, I look at what my son did for me this week, it, it really is really the opposite of that. <clears throat> and I love my son, but he was so excited about this gift he was going to give me. And then we opened up the gift here, and this is the gift that he bought for me. Uh, which is cool. I love Legos, but uh, really, who, whose heart did he have in mind when he went and uh, purchased this little Lego gift for me? Well, you know, if he truly knew me, maybe that gift. Now, he loves playing Legos. We love doing this together, so I love my son, and he can buy me all the Legos he wants. We'll build them together, but the, po the point is, 
the heart of Jesus is what? To act on behalf of another, to serve other people. The heart of a servant with all humility is why Jesus came. It's what he did for us, to serve us. And so this verse in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. It's at the heart of the gospel. It's at the heart of Christianity. It's at the heart of what a follower of Jesus should look like. Now, when, they, when, when general, in, in general, the culture hears this message of the gospel, hears who Jesus is and what he has done, there's really two reactions when you hear the message of Jesus. And I think it's summed up here, uh, well, first of all, Webster defines service. This is what Webster defines service as. Uh, provide someone with something they need or to act on behalf of another person, right? Isn't that exactly what Jesus has done? To provide something we need to act on behalf of another person. It's what's summed up in Mark ten forty five. It's exactly what he's done. We're going to hit that again. But in 1 Corinthians it tells us, 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, when you encounter the message of Jesus, the message of the cross, there's one of two responses, isn't there? See, either we hear it, and this is what the, you know, the general public, the general culture, when they hear the message of the cross, they say it's foolishness. It's like reading the Iliad and the Odyssey or the story, you know, some great story from long ago. It's, it's foolishness. It doesn't make sense. But for those of us that have encountered Jesus, for those of us that, that know and understand that this ransom has been paid for us, it's the power of God at work in our lives, isn't it? The power of God at work in our lives. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and he gave his life as a ransom for you, for many. This is the message. This is the heart of the gospel, the humility of Jesus, that he emptied himself, that he saved those who were perishing. We're going to read starting in verse 32. So Mark 10, 32 they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Okay, so they're on their way to Jerusalem, give you a picture of what's going to take place. Next week, Tim is going to uh, talk to us out of Mark chapter 11. In Mark chapter, chapter 11, we see the triumph, triumphal entry of Jesus. Okay, and, and for those of us that, that know and study the word, it it's the final week of Jesus. It's the last week leading up to his death and ultimately his resurrection. So the first 10 chapters of Mark were really dealing with the first three years of the ministry and life of Jesus. Final three years. And then the final five chapters deals with his final week leading up to that death and resurrection. So we're going we're gonna to go into that starting next week. Uh, we'll take a break for about five or six weeks, but then ultimately leading up to the resurrection and talk about it on Easter. And so here he is on his way to Jerusalem. They're following. And again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. Here's what he said, starting in verse 33. We are going to Jerusalem, he said, and the son of man will be portrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. 
They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So here is what's going to happen. Jesus, with his disciples, telling him what's going to take place. Now, if you look at what Jesus says here, you're going to understand this isn't the first time Jesus has told his disciples this. Now, understand his disciples have now been with him for three years. Okay, they have heard him teach. They have heard him talk. They have heard his words. If you go and you look in Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 8, Peter makes this great confession of who Jesus is. And then Jesus follows it up by telling him, okay, well, Here's what's going to happen to me. Mark chapter 9, we see the same thing, the transfiguration. And right after the transfiguration, Jesus tells him, okay, here's what's going to happen to me. And once again, here in Mark chapter 10, the disciples with him on their way to Jerusalem. And once again, he tells them, okay, here's what's going to happen to me. And so now he's told them, Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 10. If you hear something three times, isn't that supposed to stick a little bit? All right. So he's told them, Mark chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, he's told them, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die, right? Then, verse 35, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at le- on your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus says. Can you drink the cup I drink of and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong for those whom they have been prepared. So, he has told them, go in Jerusalem. I'm going to die, Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 9, I'm going to die. Mark chapter 10, I'm going to die. He has told them several times what's going to happen. And yet they still come to him not understanding. They still come to him really seeking their own gain, seeking their own benefit. Now here's the thing. We we talk about this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For those that are being saved is the power of God. But even that being true, how many times in our life we're we forget this message? And the message of the cross isn't changing us. It's not transforming us. We are not living differently because of what Jesus has done, because this great price, this ransom that was paid, our lives don't look any different. I think so many times you can, you can take a follower of Christ and you can put him right next to somebody else, and by and large, I can't tell the difference. Because this message of Jesus it isn't transforming us. It's not changing my heart and my soul and my, my very being. The power of the gospel at work in our life should change who we are. It should change how we act. It should change how we talk. It should change the way in which we live our lives. But too many times, it doesn't. Too many times, we just kind of go through the motion and do our thing. And I think looking and reading and studying the disciples here kind of makes me feel a little better about myself. 
that I'm not the only one that does this. Because these guys have heard him, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Yet, they still don't get it. They still come to Jesus asking, Jesus, we want to sit at your right, we want to sit at your left. And I want to look at them and I'm like, what, what a bunch of idiots. A guy, three chapters in a row, has told them they're going to die, yet they still come to Jesus. Jesus, now first, I love how it starts. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. <laughs> That's pretty bold to come to Jesus. Do for us whatever we ask. Now, it's awesome that we can approach the throne of grace with boldness, but I don't think this is what the author of Hebrews had in mind when he was saying that. See, these guys are what? They're after their own good. They're after their own gain. They're after their own glory, aren't they? Uh, Psalms tells us, man, what God desires, what God seeks, a broken heart and a contrite spirit. The kind of heart, the kind of person, the kind of worshiper that God wants is one that has a broken heart and a contrite spirit, simply meaning we know who we are in relationship to an almighty God. Right, Like Isaiah, when he approaches the throne of grace, he sees God in all his glory. Right, The train of his robe fills the temple, and Isaiah's only response is, woe is me, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Because we encounter the living God and see his greatness and see his glory. We can't help but say, man, woe is me, broken heart, contrite spirit. This is what God desires. Now these, these guys still are needing to learn that. But we see what they're really after. They're after their own glory. They want their own power and position. See, and this is what the world says, right? And all their views of human greatness are that of power and position. Right? Great world leaders have power and position. Great rulers have power and position. But when the cross and the message of the cross truly sinks in, truly changes us, and it kind of flips everything upside down, doesn't it? Because the kind of life and the kind of person that Jesus desires and wants is one of humility. It is one who thinks of others ahead of themselves. It is not one who is seeking their own gain, not seeking their own power and position in life. But humility, humility, thinking of others better than themselves. And this is really the message of the gospel. I mean, Jesus, all his teaching does this. We saw last week Nick talking, that the rich young ruler, right? Well, in the rich young ruler's eyes, he had it all together. See, if you would study and you'd go back and you'd look at the time back, back then, they believed that, that having money and having stuff, and this was a blessing from God. Look at through the Old Testament, it, it was. To have things and have land and have a big family and have power and possession, it was a blessing from God. But Jesus comes along and he flips everything upside down, doesn't he? And Jesus takes for him that, that one thing that really was the God of his life and says, no, we need to get rid of it. And the, the same thing he does with the disciples. In their eyes, right? Power and position. This is the way God has designed it. God, give us this power and position, authority. But Jesus said, that's, that's not how it works with me. That's not how it works in my kingdom. And so they ask him, he asked them, what do, you, what do you want me to do? They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now, these guys really don't know what they're asking, do they? 
to sit at his right and to sit at his left. They think, all right, I want a position of power. The way they viewed it, Jesus was coming. He was going to set up his kingdom. He was going to rule with all authority and power, and they wanted some of that. Let us be at your right, left, power, and position. But where was Jesus in his greatest glory? Where did Jesus display grace and mercy and justice and love? It was in the cross, wasn't it? Isn't that where he displayed the grace and the mercy and that love? And there was somebody at his right and his left. And these guys didn't know what they were asking for. And he says, you guys have no idea. You have no idea what you are asking. And Jesus, in his greatest glory, was paying that ransom for us. Jesus, in his greatest glory, was paying the ultimate price so we didn't have to. He paid that ransom. He paid that debt so you and I wouldn't have to. And so here... You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared. See, what what Jesus does, he flips the entire script. The way the world views it power and position, authority, rule it over people. But Jesus said, no, that, that's not the way it is in my kingdom. In my kingdom, it is humility. In my kingdom, it is putting others ahead of yourself. In my kingdom, it is thinking about the interest of other people. It is serving, it is having the heart of a servant and servanthood. That's the way it is in my kingdom. And I think the lesson for us as we look at the disciples, the lesson for us is not to look at them and say, man, these guys are a bunch of idiots. But for us to look at, these guys, these guys were with him for three years, right? They have heard him talk. They have heard him speak. They have heard the words of Jesus. The lesson for us is, what do I need to learn about the power of the gospel? What do I need to learn about being the, the, the power of those who are being saved, the gospel at work in our life? What do I still need to learn about this gospel message, about this great thing that Jesus has done for me? See, the lesson for us is not to look at the disciples and think, man, these guys missed the boat. But the lesson for us is to realize no one's got it figured out. No one here has got it all figured out. I hate to tell you that. If you're wondering where you fall short, let's, we can talk, come ask me afterwards, I'll tell you. Okay? But none of us have it figured out. And the lesson for us in looking at the disciples in their lives is to realize we too still have something to learn about the power of the message of the gospel of Jesus. That it, it can transform us, it can change us, it should change the way we act, how we talk, how the way in which we influence this world. The, the power of the message of the gospel should do that in our lives. And the lesson that we get from looking at the disciples should be exactly that. There is power in it. There is power in the message of what Jesus has done. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. I think one of the lessons that still trying to learn, is this idea of worry. Now, Heather reminded me, she does a good job of this when I make mistakes, but she, she reminded me this week that uh, I had said something. She goes, Kyle, you know, it's sin to worry. Thanks, Heather. All right, so uh, I was thinking about that. And 
something I struggle with. And, and here's the reality of someone who worries. Someone who worries has an arrogance. And you say, oh, you know, what are you talking about? Well, it, it's arrogant in the fact the reason I'm worrying is because I'm trying to control the outcome of what's going to happen. I'm trying to be God in my own life. And I could share the things I worry about, that's, that's, but that's exactly the case. Is I'm worried because I think I know better than God, right? I think this is what should happen in my life. And if it doesn't, I worry. Or if I need it to happen, I really want it to happen, and I'm not sure it's going to happen, I worry. And worry so many times can control our life. And really what it is is, is us trying to play God, is us trying to be in control of our life. Because if you're like me, this message and the power of the gospel at work still, still needs to change me, still needs to transform me. And we need to look at our lives, examine our lives, in which ways am I like the disciples, that I still don't quite get it. I still don't quite understand it. Jesus uh, gives us this ultimate example of what a servant, what is one of humility, what is one uh, who seeks the good of other people. And it's seen in Philippians chapter 2. I think Philippians chapter 2 gives us a great picture of the heart of Jesus. Uh, Here's what it says, starting in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. If you want to know what being a follower of Jesus looks like, if you want to know what it looks like to have the heart of Jesus, to be about his kingdom and not my own kingdom, this is what it looks like, right? Philippians 2 lays it out for us. Nothing out of selfish ambition. Consider others better than yourself. Look to the interest of others. He made himself nothing. He humbled himself. The power of the gospel at work in our lives, this is what our lives should begin to look like. And if we need to examine our lives, this is what we should look at. Do I have the heart of Jesus? Am I about what Jesus was? This example that Jesus has given me, do I live it out? Here's a great list for me to come back to. If I want to be a servant of his, if I want to pursue the kingdom of God above my own kingdom and the kingdom of this world, nothing out of selfish ambition. Consider others better than yourself. Look to the interest of others. Made himself nothing, and he humbled himself. Isn't that a great picture? Isn't that a great king that we follow and we serve? Wow, that even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. What a great thing that he has done. Back to Mark here. It tells us in verse 41, it says, When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. They're mad, right? They've been following around. Remember, this is a group of guys that have been together for a long time. 
Three years they've been with Jesus. Three years they've been hearing his teaching, learning from what he said, and doing it together. And one of the important things, if we seek to live out the kind of life that, that, that God wants for us, the kind of life that Jesus himself lived, the example that he set, that's going to happen in community. And I, I love reading this, and I love looking at the life of the disciples, because many times they don't get it. But you know what? Oftentimes they don't get it together. And oftentimes it may come to a situation like this when the other ten are like, what are you guys doing? You guys, you're idiots. What are you doing? And we need that, don't we? If we are going to live the kind of life that's laid out in Philippians chapter 2, if we're going to seek the kingdom of God above our own kingdom, it needs to happen in community. One of the greatest things, I think, and most important things uh, that if we want to live changed lives, if we want to live lives that the power of the gospel is at work in our lives, it needs and has to happen in community. If it's something we're trying to do on our own, it's not going to happen. It has to happen in community. And we have, you know, small groups here. I would encourage you, man, meet with other people who love Jesus. Challenge other people who love Jesus. Have people in your life that aren't afraid to, you know what, tell you you're an idiot. Right? Tell you don't worry. My, my friend Tim called me up about a week ago and said, hey, Kyle, I just need a call. How you doing? It's not an easy thing for guys do, to do, is it? You know, uh, I think the gentler gender is much better at this than guys. But we need to do it. We need people in our life that are going to challenge, encourage us, and when we screw up, tell us we screw up. If we are going to change, we're going to live the kind of life that God has intended us to live, the kind of life that is going to impact this world for his kingdom. It's going to happen because we do it in community. These disciples, you know what they didn't do? They didn't come, hear this great sermon on the mount, take some notes, go home, and say, you know what, now how can I apply this to my life? That's not bad. But what did they do? They lived it out together. They did it together. They heard the message, and they apply it to their life, and then they encourage one another, let's do this together. And if there's going to be growth, there's going to be change in our life, it's going to happen because we are living it out in community. That's where true growth happens. It's where true change is going to take place. We aren't meant to live a life and follow Jesus on an island. It's to happen together in community. It must happen in community. We're going to end here, verse 42 through 45, one of the, the key portions of all of the gospel, all of the Bible, and especially here in the book of Mark. Verse 42, it says this, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. He flips it upside down. Yeah, the world, the way in which they view things, that if you want to influence this world, you need power and you need position and you need authority, and it's the only way you're going to influence the world. But Jesus said, for my kingdom, that ain't how it works. For my kingdom, it's the exact opposite. If you want to be great, you got to be last. You want to be first, you got to be last. You have to be a servant. Now, this doesn't mean, you know, heck, this all week where we finally got rid of those political commercials. It doesn't mean that we're not involved in culture. It doesn't mean we're not involved in politics or whatever else. But it means because of the power of the gospels at work in my life, man, I want to influence the culture in which I live. I think the greatest 
example of this we see is in Jeremiah chapter 29. And in Jeremiah chapter 29, Jeremiah chapter 29, what happens is uh, Babylon has defeated Israel. They've marched them back. They are now, now captives there. And in Jeremiah chapter 29, God tells them. Now, understand, when they're, they're in captivity, they've got, some, they've got some options. One thing they could do is they can go and they can sit in their own little circle, right? They're their own people. They're their own group. They are followers of God. They can sit in their circle, do their own thing, and not be involved at all. Or they could have an uprising and try to take over and absorb their authority and then control culture that way. Or they could listen to what God has told them to do. And in Jeremiah chapter 29, God tells him, said, hey, here's what you want to do. I want you to go plant your gardens. I want you to go be involved in the community. I want you to pray for the city. I want you to influence that city. Because if they prosper, you're going to prosper. And what God does is, and the kind of life, humility, the kind of life that Jesus lived, humility, even in that, the way we will influence culture is not by power and authority and position, but the, by the way and the heart of Jesus. Power, authority, and position is not the way, but a heart like Jesus. A heart like we saw in Philippians chapter 2. And what they did in Jeremiah chapter 29. To love our neighbors. To, to pray for our neighbors. To, to serve our neighbors. To be involved in, which the, in the culture in which we're trying to to influence, to pray for the culture in which we're trying to influence for the kingdom of God. It's not for us to go sit in a corner. It's not for us not to be involved, but it's for us to truly love on people. It's for us to serve people like Jesus has done. This, this is what he's called us to. The heart of Jesus, the heart of a servant is exactly that. Not, not by power and position, but by the heart of Jesus. Serving our neighbor, loving our neighbor, serving the culture, influencing the culture in the way in which Jesus did, the heart of a servant. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. If you want to know what Jesus is all about, if you want to know what the gospel message is all about, here it is. It's Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was a perfect man. Jesus was one who knew no sin. Jesus was the king. He is the king. If there's ever a person that de deserved to be served, wouldn't it be him? But what does he say? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. Jesus didn't come so we would serve him. He came to serve us. Now my response for this great thing that he has done is I want to respond and serve him and serve the kingdom. But that's, that's not why he came. The reason he came was to serve you. The reason he came was to pay the ransom. And ransom, uh, back in those days, and, and the word it means in the Greek is that there is this sacrificial price that is paid to set someone free. That someone is a slave and a prisoner, and it's a sacrificial price that was paid. And this is what Jesus has done for you and I. See, on a cosmic level, 
we are slaves. We were prisoners. The Bible tells us and teaches us that everyone has fallen short. Everyone has failed to meet the mark. Fallen short of God's glory. But, but, on the cosmic level, Jesus has paid the ransom. And what a price it was. Jesus himself, as only he could do, went to the cross, acted on our behalf, paid the ransom for you and I. And that ransom has been paid in full. See, now it's no longer a list of things I need to do. It's no longer uh, uh, these accomplishments that I need to make, these good deeds that I need to do. But it's the cross. It's the ultimate price that was paid. Jesus, the ransom, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and he gave his life as a ransom for many, as a ransom for you and I. He has paid that price for you and for me. And that, that is the power of the gospel. That, that is the power of the gospel that should change how we live, should change the things which we should do, that should change us to make us look like Jesus in all humility, to think of others better than ourselves, to look to the interest of others. That, that is the gospel. And, and as we look to, to, at this passage, we look at this verse, we want to understand there's two things, two things to take away. First of all, the message of the gospel is this, the message of the Bible is this, that Jesus has paid the ransom for you and me. And for us, that it's simple, that I would put my faith and my hope and my trust in Jesus and his finished work on the cross. And secondly, as we look at this, it should change the way in which we live. That it's not power, position, authority. It's not my kingdom. But to have the heart of Jesus is all in all humility. Seeking others first, not my own gain. And seeking his kingdom. This is what we want to learn. This is what we want to take away. The message of the gospel. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. I'm going to pray, and after I do, we've got the bread and the juice up here and in back. And this is a chance for us to look at our lives and ask ourselves the question. Do, do I believe this message? Do I believe what Mark 10.45 tells me? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Has that changed me? Has that permeated every part of my being. And if you've made and put your faith and your hope and trust in Jesus, take the bread and the juice and remember this great thing and this great price that was paid. It, if you don't know that, and if you've not experienced that in your life, my encouragement and my challenge for you today is to ask God that, to reveal that to you. And if you need to talk with somebody, I'll be in the back. There is no more important decision in your life than what you're going to do with Jesus. What you will do with this message of who Jesus is and what he has done and how he has paid the ransom for you. If you know Jesus, the question for us is, much like the disciples, 
what part of my life do, does this message of the gospel, what part of my life has it not transformed me yet? Has it not changed me? Be, because it hasn't. Not fully. Someday, but not fully. And so we need to ask ourselves, where? Where has this message of Jesus and the work and the ransom that was paid not changed my life? And ask yourself that. Be challenged by what God is trying to teach you this morning and in your life. And as we go and prepare to take the bread and the juice, may, may we ask God to God reveal those things to me. And where I need to change, bring me into community where others can help me make those changes in my life. So I can influence the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of this world and not my own kingdom, but your kingdom. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And he gave his life as a ransom for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this great price that was paid in Jesus. God, that you would give us such a great gift, that the gift that only you could give of cosmic proportion. Nothing that man could have done on our own, but something only you could have done. And God, as, as we look to the cross this morning, we pray that it would change us, that the power of the message of the gospel would change our very being. God, help us to examine our lives and ask ourselves the question, where do we still need to learn this message? Where has this message of the cross still not changed us? God, may we seek. May we seek you and we seek for it to change us. God, this morning, we just want to worship you. We just want to thank you for this incredible thing that you have done, that my debts, my wrongdoing, my sin has been paid in full. Sure is not by anything I've done, but only, only by your son who paid the ransom for me. What an awesome thing you have done for us. May we worship you for that this morning and in our lives. We ask it in the name of Jesus.